This is your host, Terry Noland, and this is your community. Come on in, grab a seat, and strap in. Hello, listeners and friends. And I use that word friends very intentionally because there are so many of you that are listeners on this podcast that I've met, that I've got to talk to, and you are friends. All of you are friends. And I want you to know that this place and this space where you are able to listen, and hopefully I can bring some thoughts, ideas, and people to this listening environment. And we are friends here. This podcast is all about leadership, particularly in the area of literacy. However, my goodness, you can apply these leadership principles, practices to all areas of your life. I hope you're doing that. And friends, I'm going to tell you, I've had so much fun being in this space with you. Now, this week, I'm going to come to you with just this string and this series of thoughts. I've been traveling around recently, attending multiple conferences, leadership conferences, literacy conferences, and just being in a place of always thinking about literacy leadership. And what I've done is taken notes over the course of those conferences and events. And as I sit and reflect on those notes, things jump off the page at me. Things are jumping out at me. And this is what's so important when you take notes at an event or a training or some type of learning that you're taking part in, is that when you do go back and review, and I hope you do, that's when you get the sustained thinking. Sustained thinking is where you're able to set aside time and start to think deeply about content. This isn't important just for us as adult learners. This is important for students as well, because immediate thinking, response thinking is good, but that's not the place that we need to stop. We need to get into moments of sustained thinking about ideas, about strategies, about learning. That's where we need to be in order to stretch ourselves and in order to grow. So this week, we are talking about how literacy leaders are inspired with quotes. Now, I think I've told you before in this space that I keep what I call a treasure chest. In this treasure chest are all the things that come into my awareness throughout the course of a day, a week, a month. And what it is, it is a document that is an Excel spreadsheet. Across the bottom, I've got all kinds of tabs, quotes, inspirational quotes, education quotes, books that I want to read, books I've read, thoughts, stories, uh, resources, all kinds of things across the bottom. And the reason I keep this treasure chest is because when it's time to go and prepare for a presentation, prepare for a podcast, prepare for anything, go back and remember who said that and where I was, I can always rely on my treasure chest. So the quotes that I've collected recently over the past few weeks are going in my treasure chest. And they are just a small, small percentage of what I have in this growing treasure chest of resources, ideas, stories, quotes. 
And so the quotes I'm going to go through today is just ones I scanned through my little book that I keep notes in and the ones that jumped off the page I want to speak to today. So let's get started. The first one I came across was this one. And this was given to me by Mark Cole. And so what he said was, the first investment you need to make is in yourself. Take care of yourself so you can take care of others. This one spoke to me as a literacy leader because it's tiring in education right now. We are hearing so much about self-care. We are hearing so much about the need to uh, invest in yourself, take care of yourself. And that's so important. But what I love about this quote is it said the reason why you need to do that, not just for your own well-being, because as a human being and a, and a species of people, our whole inner being is about helping other people. As educators, isn't that what we are about? Our daily work is about helping others, helping students, helping colleagues, helping staff. And I can't give of myself unless I've invested in myself. I heard someone say it this way. You need to be able to give from the saucer. All right, let me paint you a mental picture here. And what that means is, so think of a coffee cup sitting on a saucer. And, and we often tend to, you know, think of that coffee cup wherever it is as far as being filled. But think about investing yourself to the point that the coffee starts to spill over. And it's spilling over. And now that the saucer has to capture the overflow. As human beings, we need to invest so much in ourselves that we are overflowing to the point that the goodness, the knowledge, the, uh, the help that we want to give to others is flowing over into that saucer and we are giving from the overflow. It's when we give from the cup that we get frustrated, that we get worn down, that we get tired, that we get exhausted because I'm giving from something I do not have myself. We have to give from the overflow. But in order to have overflow, I've got to invest in myself. So that's where I encourage you to think deeply, reflect honestly. How are you investing in yourself? I'm going to tell you some ways I invest in myself. You know this. If you've listened to the podcast for any amount of time, you know that I love to work out. I invest in myself in that way. I also love to listen to podcasts. I invest in myself in that way. I love learning about leadership. So I've got different leadership programs that I'm a part of. I invest in myself in that way. I also invest in myself by dedicating my time with family, by uh, going to church. These are things that I do to invest in myself so that I can give from an overflow. So think about that. Think about what you can do to invest in yourself and give from the saucer. Okay, let's move on to the next one. We are either spending time repairing or preparing. Wow, the implications this one has on literacy leadership. Because what we have seen in our country is this 
alignment to uh, some false understanding of reading instruction. We have created situations that we need to repair. No shame, no blame, right? No, that's not a place that we want to go to. As a literacy leader, I do not want to get in a situation of shaming or blaming anyone. What I want to be in a, is a situation of repairing what is broken and then preparing so that eventually we can get a place that we are constantly in the prepare mode. We have to repair right now. We've got to repair reading instruction. We've got to repair the misconceptions that have been out in this space around reading instruction. Three, cueing. We've got to get rid of it. We've got to repair what has been broken. And once we repair that, then we can start to move into a place of preparing. Wouldn't it be amazing if we were in a situation in our country, in the United States, where every classroom across our country was aligning to the science of reading, that we were implementing that science of reading through the science of implementation, science of learning practices were applied. And then we move into this space that now we are preparing. We are preparing these kids. We are preparing our content. We are preparing. And you know what? Something else that we've got to repair. A lot of times in this space in literacy leadership, we have to repair our emotions. We have to repair what's been broken in us as teachers, as educators. Sometimes we have to get over the grief. We have to get over the guilt. We have to get over the shame of, oh my goodness, I didn't know. And now I do know. Those are big issues. Those are really big issues. And I've got to deal with that. I got to work on those emotions and now get myself in a place that says, let's move forward to preparing. I love that one. We are either spending time repairing or preparing. Here's another quote from Les Brown. You don't have to be great to start. You have to start to be great. You know what? It's also this notion of, oh my goodness, here we go. Some new trend, some new, this is the new pendulum swing in education. Don't think that way. Don't think that way. This alignment to the science of reading uh, executed in our classrooms with the science of learning and science of implementation. You know what? This isn't a fad. This is where we need to be. And don't sit back and say, well, I'm not good at that. So I'm just not going to start. I'm going to stick to what I know. You don't have to be great to start. You have to start somewhere to be great. You got to dip your toe into the water. You got to dive in. You got to do a little bit every single day. Here's Chris Robinson. He's a mentor of mine. And he says all the time, you got to learn a little bit, do a little bit. Learn a little bit, do a little bit. Don't sit back and get content rich and implementation poor. Learn. This is investing in yourself. Learn the strategies. Learn what you need to get rid of. Learn what you need to unlearn. And you got to start because it's when you start that you begin to get skilled. You build up your capacity. 
You build up those muscles. You build up your strategies. You try it. You fail. You move on. And that's where you're going to get to the point of greatness. Greatness. I promise you, if you start today implementing some new strategy, and we can't do it all in one day, that we've got to implement, try, practice, fail, get back, learn a little bit, try, succeed, fail. It's just this, this automatic uh, flow that happens. And where you are in 365 days from today is going to be incredible growth. You don't have to be great to start. You have to start to be great. Okay, here's another one that I had written down in my notes. And unfortunately, I didn't write who said this one, but we know that somebody out there needs to deserve some credit. People don't learn when they understand. People learn when they are understood. Learning cannot take place without relationship. Simple fact. Relationship is at the bedrock of any work that you do. And it does not matter if you're in education or if you're somewhere in retail. It does not matter. Relationship is core. Relationship is fundamental. And when people are understood, that's when you can start to move a relationship. I've talked a lot on this podcast about influencing up, influencing across, sideways, and influencing down. Because as literacy leaders, that's something that we need to be doing. And you cannot lead and move forward uh, literacy ideas, literacy practices until people feel they are understood. We cannot attack people. And that's what I have seen so much in the media. We are attacking each other. And that's not right. We see it in politics. And that's not right. When we understand people, when people feel understood, then that's when we can move forward with ideas and vision and collaborative work together. So when you're the one maybe in your school or district that, okay, yeah, I'm starting to align to the science of reading. I'm starting to get it. I'm learning. Oh my goodness. Everybody else around me, they are stuck in their old ways. I'm going to go shove this, this research article in their face and say, here, you need to read this. And listen, I'm well, maybe I'm not exaggerating, but you get the point. They need to see this the way I see it. Lead with helping them be understood. Ask where they are in their journey. Tell me what you care about in education. And I'm going to tell you what, when you start to come together around what you both agree on, that's what matters. That's what literacy leadership is all about, moving forward in a direction that we can both work on. Now, I'm going to get real, too. I like to get real. There are going to be situations where no matter what you do, the person on the other side of you is going to resist. That's where you got to do a little bit of soul searching. That's where you've got to do a little bit of self-reflection and say, how much energy and effort can I put into this relationship? Sometimes you might need to walk away. That's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to do. But I'm going to tell you what, greatness can be on the other side of that. Greatness awaits. People don't learn when they understand. People learn 
when they are understood. This applies to our kids as well. Developing those relationships with our kids. And when those kids feel understood, you talk about learning. I see it all the time with the kids that I tutor. Their mamas tell me that they're crying on the way to school, that they're dreading school and nothing against their classroom teachers. But when a child walks in front of me, I place a 10 on their head and I understand. And we start to talk about what they're interested in, what they like. And then once I can establish that level of being understood, boy, I can teach those kids. Let's move on to the next one. Stephen Covey said that your systems are perfectly designed to get the results you are getting. When we think about literacy transformation in our schools and in our districts, it's not just about the fact that we need to not understand and know the science of reading. That is a good step. We need to know the science of reading, the science of implementation, and the science of learning. All three of those should interweave and be a critical part of what's happening in literacy transformation. But nothing can move until you deal with your systems that are in place. What do I mean by that? What are the systems in place? What does the scheduling look like? I'm seeing a lot of, of phonics patches across the country. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. Phonics patches are the school or the district saying, yes, we are aligning to the science of reading. Thank goodness we are on the right track. And you look deeply at their schedule and what they have is still curriculums in place that are embedded in a three queuing model. And then the next, and so that's a 90 minute literacy block and then tacked onto it another 30 minutes of phonics. Oh, well, we've brought in a phonics or a phonemic awareness program. Look at us, we're aligning to the science of reading. No, you're not. Because you didn't change the system. You didn't figure out what you needed to get rid of and what you needed to unlearn. Professional learning is important for our educators, but unlearning is just as important. So the systems that are in place are perfectly designed right now to get the results you are getting. And that's why we have these numbers that we have across the country is because we haven't dealt with the systems. We haven't dealt with the fact that we're, we're no longer able to instruct the way we should instruct in tier one because we've got so many kids in tier two and tier three. The pyramid has been flipped. Let's get good instruction, evidence-based instruction, science of reading in tier one, all differentiated according to the needs of the students. That's changing the system. So... That was one I wrote down that I've been spending a lot of time thinking about recently. Here's one. I was at a conference and Kim Yona Burke, many of you might know her. She was really significant in the work in Mississippi, now doing a lot of policy work around the country and just, you know, a leader in this space. And here's what she had to say. I saw a keynote where she presented about literacy leadership and she said, lead from where you are. Lead from where you are. It does not matter where you are, what title, role, position you have. That does not make you a leader. That makes you a manager of something. Leadership is what's inside of me. And you, got, you can't wait for a title 
You can't wait for a specific role to say, oh, now I can be a literacy leader. Lead from where you are. Lead from the place and the space that you are in right now. If you know what is good for student outcomes, then guess what? That's the place from which you lead. Lead from where you are. Don't wait. If we are waiting for people to get into places of title to lead, we're going to be waiting a long time. That's, you know, a hard way to turn the Titanic, turn that big ship. Let's all lead from the place that we are right now. This one I saw on social media. And I don't think it was talking about literacy at all. I don't think it was talking about students at all. I think it was just a great quote. I even posted it to my LinkedIn because I thought it was so incredible. This is by Michelangelo. I saw the angel in the marble and carved until I set him free. Now, Michelangelo is an artist. He didn't see a block of marble. He saw the angel in the marble. Here's what this makes me think of. This makes me think of potential in people, potential in students. Let's don't judge them by their ability to decode. Let's look at that marble. And I'm going to carve until I set that angel free. I'm going to carve until I set the potential free. Every child, every adult, every parent, every colleague, staff member that we work with, let's carve until we set them free. What a beautiful metaphor for thinking about the human potential inside of everyone. Let's stop looking at students as, oh my goodness, they're lesser than because their decoding ability is not on grade level. No, no. My job as the educator is to carve and carve until I set that angel free. Same thing in colleagues. Same thing in if I'm a literacy leader that is in a position of being a classroom teacher, you can carve with your principals, with your superintendents, with those that are, you know, quote, above you. Carve. Do it gently. That's what we need to do to unleash human potential. I was in a session recently at one of these conferences, and it was all about language comprehension. And I loved this conference because it wasn't just about word recognition. It was the importance of language comprehension as well. Man, we were driving it home. So many sessions about the importance of language. And after I attended that session, I was chatting with the presenters and uh, we were talking about the fact that so many students, you know, we tend to like keep them on their grade level or their decoding level and they can only deco decode CBC words or, you know, a, a little bit high, you know, just a tiny bit higher level tier one words. And we don't give them the big words. We don't give them tier two and tier three words according to the work of Isabel Beck. We don't give them those big words. And if you've got a four and a five-year-old that can talk about a pterodactyl and a Tyrannosaurus Rex, I'm going to tell you what, these kids can hold big words in their mouths. They can say big words. They can understand big words. And so I said this statement and she told me, the presenter told me, she was like, I'm going to write that down. I'm going to quote you. I said, good. And I said, don't be afraid of big words for our kids. They may not be able to decode them, 
So let's talk about them. Let's rain down big words on our kids. Don't be afraid of big words. You know what? There's a word that I teach my kids all the time. I love it. And we have so much fun with it. Here we go. Hippopotamosriasa quispidelophobia. That's a big word. It actually means the fear of long words. We don't want to have the fear of long words because language comprehension is a determining factor in reading ability. Let's shower kids with long, big words. Okay, very last one. And this is another one that after all of this sustained thinking of my notes that I came up with this one because it, it speaks to me about what we need to be and who we need to be as literacy leaders. Knowledge without courage is void of action. And courage without knowledge is reckless. I'm going to say it again. Knowledge without courage is void of action. And courage without knowledge is reckless. In literacy leadership, I've got to have both. I've got to have them paired together. They've got to live together in the same place, knowledge and courage. So like I said, I can get content rich and action poor, strategy poor, implementation poor. And I don't, because I don't have the courage to go and tell somebody else, to work with somebody else, to lend thinking to somebody else. And so I've got all the knowledge, but I don't have the courage to stand up as a literacy leader. That's void of action. Or... I've got all the courage in the world and I'm going to stand up and shake my fist at the board meetings and I'm going to schedule meetings with upper management and I've got courage, but I'm void of knowledge. That's reckless. I've got to have both. And someone told me uh, on a response on social media that I helped explain what I meant by this statement. And she responded and said, well, I guess I had courage today because I went and talked to, I think it was a principal or a superintendent. And she said, my knees were shaking. Good, good. Because you had the knowledge and you had the courage. Courage says that you're going to stand up even when your knees shake, even when you get a little bit sweaty, even when your face turns flush, even when your voice gets shaky. Courage, my friend. That's what we're going to be able to do when we move literacy, when we're talking about literacy transformation. Knowledge without courage is void of action, and courage without knowledge is reckless. Like I said, these are just the quotes that have been a part of my thinking for the past two weeks. And watch, in another couple of weeks, I'll probably have a whole nother list of inspirational quotes that drive my thinking. I hope you're keeping a list of quotes. I hope you are investing in yourself. I hope you start. Because it's when you start, you're going to get great. I love you, friends. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I may not know all the listeners. In fact, I know I don't. But I know the listeners. I know you. And if you're listening, I know you have a heart for this work. All right. We will see you next week. I can't wait to be with you again. Thank you for going on the journey today. Thank you for being present. Thank you for continuing to grow and learn. If we are going to make an impact on education, 
create significance in the lives of our students, we need you. If you want to learn more about Learning Ally, visit us at learningally.org and be a part of a transformational community.